Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. King MOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome in, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you as we delve into the effect, really, that first of all, that COVID-19 has had on some St. Louis small businesses. And also, we're going to delve into some more traditional innovation, a really cool piece of technology that allows for holographic surgeries, Travis. Yeah, it's it, the show's uh, pretty packed today because we are going to the spectrum, right? We're, we're talking, we're going to first talk about holographic surgery on the heart. Pretty remarkable, pretty innovative. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the new development around City Foundry, which is a a new hub within within the region, especially for uh, food and beverage and entertainment. And it's hard to imagine what food, beverage, and entertainment look like coming out of COVID. Uh, so we'll talk to you'll talk we'll talk with Steve Smith to hear about that. Uh, and then we're going to check in with Gerard Kraft and let's talk about something that's not innovative: government regulation. <laughs> yeah, and when it comes to uh, you know, first off, the the holographic surgeries, we've heard about augmented reality on this show and with St. Louis startups. When it comes to grocery shopping and retail and a GPS for the grocery store, we've heard about it when it comes to Pokemon Go. We saw some augmented reality with the St. Louis 250th celebration, but those are obviously a lot lighter topics than heart surgery. Yeah, but you know. A lot of our, uh, a lot of things that may start off as a game can progress into something life changing. All the different spectrum of applications for them, and City Foundry is interesting because they've got the employees that are moving into the office space, but the the retail and the entertainment so far are still hands off. They're working on it behind the scenes, but not opening that quite yet. The grocery store is still on on track, though, as we've talked about on the show. Grocery during the pandemic has been about one one of the only retail sectors that's really flourished in the midst of all this. Yeah, and you know, what hasn't flourished really has been the the food and beverage side. And uh, we'll wrap up the show checking in with Gerard Kraft and some of the challenges he's facing, not just him, but probably a lot of other restaurateurs as they're trying to move their their businesses forward and uh, getting some run in with the with the government at the state level. Yeah, and this isn't the first time in the middle of the pandemic that we've talked about state government maybe making things a little difficult for the food and beverage industry, especially in, in the urban areas. Right at the beginning of this, some of them were trying to sell to-go cocktails, which are really where their 
profit centers were to pay their employees and food a, a part of that, but not the major part of it. And the state shutting them down, saying no to go margaritas. And it took several weeks for them to uh, to put an accept an exception into place. So we'll find out what's going on with that now. So we have a full show this week. So uh, make sure you stick around for more Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL right after this. King OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back in. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And let's get into something really cool, almost science fiction-y, that a St. Louis startup is working on, holographic surgeries. And joining us is Dr. Jennifer Silva of the startup AR. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So describe how this this works. It's um, it, it puts a 3D hologram of the patient's heart above the chest for surgeons to be able to work with? That's exactly right. So what I do um, in my day-to-day life is that I take care of people with heart rhythm abnormalities. And so when people have heart rhythms that go too fast, we try to take care of that using a procedure called an ablation procedure. And that's where we thread these catheters through the vessels in their body into their heart and create these really intricate maps of their normal electrical system and their abnormal electrical system. And we've been doing this for decades now. The trick, one of the trickiest parts of this, though, was taking all of this various data sets that we were generating that was compressed onto 2D screens and creating these three-dimensional mental models of what was going on inside people's hearts. So several years ago, um, my partner, who's also my husband, Dr. Jonathan Silva, who's also at Washington University, we had this idea that instead of compressing everything into two dimensions, why don't we just display it as it really is in three dimensions? And if we could even do that in real time, so as you were moving catheters around, you could see that happen in the hologram, that had to make the procedure better for the patient. And that was the inception of this project in Centiar. What's the adoption like? I mean, is there a big learning curve for the medical field to adopt a technology or a solution like this? That's a great question. I think that, you know, as with any technology, you have adoption curves and you're going to have your um, your very early adopters and your later adopters. I think what's unique about people who deal with heart rhythm abnormalities or electrophysiologists is by nature, we tend to be very technical people. And, uh, it, for, and that's manifested, for instance, in how digital health has been widely adopted by the electrophysiologic community. So what we have seen as we have been talking to other physicians, electrophysiologists, not just in the U.S., but around the world, is that there really is an appetite to get this technology in their hands. Now, in terms of how long does it take to get facile with it? Well, when we did our clinical study, we had about a 20-minute training on the device before people could use it during cases, and they were quite comfortable just after 20 minutes. Part of that is we spent a lot of time making this as intuitive as possible so that when you were using it, it felt like you should make this movement and this should happen, and in fact, it did. And and Jennifer, as... As, as it is being used, can you walk us through, I mean, it's hard to, maybe it's hard to describe, but 
but this is radio, so let's make it as visual as possible. Like, what yeah. is the experience? What is the experience like? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm kind of thinking, you know, Minecraft or Second Life, <laughs> like some sort of interactive world. But can you tell us a little bit about what the experience is like? Sure. So. When a, when a physician starts the procedure, they would typically put on the headset. And once they have that on, they start performing their procedure. Then they can post the hall. They can see through it. Okay, so let's take it maybe a step back. So some of the things that you mentioned are games, right? So yeah, yeah. you can think of Minecraft. You can think of Halo. And these typically happen in virtual reality. So virtual reality is totally immersive. What that means is once you put on the headset, you can't see what's in your natural environment, right? Whatever you're in when you're in virtual reality is totally consuming and you can't see anything past that. The technical change came when we started using augmented reality. Now, augmented reality headsets are see-through, which means that you can still see your natural environment, but you can import or augment your reality with these digital images or holograms. We're using an augmented reality-based system. So when the physician puts on the headset, they can still see their patient, they can still see their team, their nursing team, their anesthesiologist, all of the normal equipment in their room. But then we're adding to that, we're augmenting that environment by putting in these holograms. So the physician is still in the room and looking around and interacting with the rest of the team. They just also happen to have, in addition to all of these data sets that we're typically looking at, this source of data that's combining a lot of the data sets that were previously disparate in the room and giving a, giving a holographic model, three-dimensional model, that is showing how the catheters are moving, where they're moving to, and what those maps look like of the patient's heart. Did that help clarify? Yes. That, and that, you know, I, so... I'm not going to oversimplify it because the only understanding I have of augmented reality is playing Pokemon Go. Uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate the idea that, you know, that the, you know, the environment is still the same for the physician. They just, you have this data set and this, this imagery of the heart uh, that is overlaid and immersed within. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, so I think that that's really important. And, and I, I actually use Pokemon Go in, in talks when I give it. And the reason is, is it took this abstract concept of what we call the extended realities, right? Virtual reality, augmented mm -hmm. reality, mixed reality. And it all of a sudden made it really tenable. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody's got it on their cell phones for goodness sakes. And so instead of feeling like this technology that was totally inaccessible, we have augmented reality sitting on our phones. And most of us are tinkering and playing with it pretty regularly. I think that is what's going to be, what is going to help change the adoption curve, like what you were asking earlier, because the technology is getting so good and it's becoming so um, embedded into the things we do that our children are growing up with it, our students are growing up with it, our medical students are growing up with it. It's only a matter of time before we're practicing medicine with it. What kind of tests have been run or, or commercialization even? Any St. Louis area hospitals that are using this or have, have done testing with it? Yeah, so fantastic question. And I am a proud faculty member at Washington University here in St. Louis. And so not only um, was the technology developed here, but we thought it was really important 
when we were doing our um, pioneering testing, that that happened here in our community as well, because we've benefited so much from this. So our initial human experience was done here at Washington University and St. Louis Children's Hospital in a series of 16 pediatric patients who were going for electrophysiology procedures. And what we found in this even very small group of patients was that we were able to improve the accuracy with which the physician was able to get to places by several millimeters. When you're talking about a scale uh, of a heart, inside of a heart, millimeters make a huge difference. So we were really excited to see that data. And Jennifer, for, you know, for our listeners, um, you know, I'm just, we talked about the adoption by the medical community. Uh, a little bit about the patients. How have patients responded to this? Are they more, uh, you know, more comfortable with technology helping advance, you know, the medical industry? That's a great question. So I, I'm going to come at that twofold. The first is, I think that our patients that particularly that participated in this study at St. Louis Children's Hospital are some of the greatest patients ever, right? They do these things not for necessarily their own direct benefit. They do it to truly help people in the future who will need these studies. And we're so fortunate to be in this community where people think that way. It's really very fortunate for us. I think the trick with technology is that it can never replace the relationship between the physician and the patient. It shouldn't. And if it's getting in the way of that, then it's a detractor. What we found was that our patient, it, showing them the technology and saying, we're going to use this. This is how we're going to use this. This is why we think it may be helpful. It was enhancing that relationship and that experience. They were able to understand what we were explaining in a way that was more than just words. They were actually able now to see it and to manipulate it. And that interaction, I thought, actually helped that therapeutic relationship. So in general, I do think that technology has to be leveraged very carefully in these situations. But in this particular use case, I think it was very helpful. Well, Jennifer, how has St. Louis been helpful as uh, you and Jonathan work on growing the company and and building it? And your research came out of Washington University, um, especially given the ecosystem that BioSTL and BioGenerator are are cultivating here. What's been the St. Louis help that you've gotten with this? Right. You know, I think that St. Louis has been an amazing community for us to be first-time founders and entrepreneurs building a digital health medical device company. The fact of the matter is that when people think of technologies like this, they tend to think about our coastal colleagues. But the fact of the matter is we've had a lot of support, both within the university, within the community, from organizations like you mentioned, BioGenerator, BioSTL, but also with finance, when we think of groups like cultivation capital, for instance. So I actually think that over the past several years as we've been doing this, we've seen a steady progression and increase in the community support for 
startup companies that are trying to grow and grow organically within the Midwest. And what's been really a really um, a nice finding for us was that all of the things that we need, we're actually able to access here. We don't, we don't have to go to the coasts to get a lot of these things. If you look, the, the, all of the, um, the tools to be successful are here. The other thing we've been able to do, and we've been really pleased to be able to do this, is we've been able to then attract talent into St. Louis and say, listen, we're doing something amazing. We're going to change the way we do these procedures. Don't you want to join us? And what we have found is that people, yes, they do want to join us. They want to get behind interesting, exciting, innovative technologies, and they become part of the St. Louis ecosystem by doing so. Well, Jennifer, can you tell us as we're wrapping up here, what's next for you and the company? You know, uh, that's a great question. I feel like we're constantly, you know, running in seven directions and at the same time, singularly focused. It's an interesting dichotomy. We're at a place where we are awaiting FDA clearance for our first product and actively working on a second product that we're hoping to have some um, in-human data testing, perhaps even as early by uh, Q1 of next year. And so we're widening our portfolio. We just finished closing our A round as well. And so we were quite excited to have that happen. So there's a lot of things going on, both in R&D, commercialization, <laughs> regulatory. And so we've got 10 million things going on right now. Well, we'll keep track of it and uh, check in with you for an update uh, later on. We, I know we talked with you uh, on KMOX, I believe, in 2018, so we'll have to check in with you again. That's right. That would be wonderful. And hopefully in another two years, we will be in a dramatically different place again. Dr. Jennifer Silva, one of the founders of CentiAR. And where can people go to, uh, to track what you're doing and get more information? Yeah, so if people want to learn more about our company or what we're doing or our team, they're welcome to visit us on CentiAR.com. All right, Dr. Jennifer Silva from CentiAR, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And stay tuned. We've got more Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL coming up after this on KMOX. KMOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. City Foundry STL. You've seen it driving past on 6440 going eastbound just before Grand. Well, the first office tenants began moving in yesterday. They've also updated the plans for the entertainment venues there. And let's get the latest from developer Steve Smith of the Lawrence Group. Those first three office tenants include Orion Genomics, Great Rivers Greenway, and Bullhorn. Steve, tell us about the latest on City Foundry. So, uh, yeah, so our office tenants, uh, the first three moved in and are occupied, and uh, we have uh, other office tenants that are under construction. Uh, but anything that has a kind of a public component to it, our tenants are asking for more time because, as you know, we want to be safe. Uh, it's just logistically hard to, um, you know, have our movie theater and our food hall and our restaurants opening up in this kind of environment. So we're reacting both to our tenants' requests 
as well as what is really the right thing to do right now with um, you know COVID still still a challenge for the health of our community. People drive by on 6440 or Forest Park Avenue and they see the old factory that's this this complex has arisen from. What part of the complex are these office tenants in? Yeah, so Bullhorn actually takes the space that runs along Interstate 64. So uh, a big part of that ground floor is where Bullhorn is located. Now they are only partially, uh, I think, showing up because of COVID, but. They, their furniture's in. They've effectively moved in, and they're—I uh, think—because I—that uh, they're partially occupying because of the COVID uh, requirements. Uh, so that's their space. Orion Genomics—you uh, can't see from the interstate. They're on the second floor of the foundry building, on the north side of the building, and they're in there. They've got a lab, and uh, and all their employees moved over from um, CEP. Uh, over in the Cortex area as they continue to grow. And they're a really neat company. They do, uh, they're part of the, the food chain. They, they help, uh, determine the, the productivity of palm oil plants, um, around the world. Uh, and palm oil goes in many of the foodstuffs, uh, that are, uh, what we consume. And so neat company. And, uh, so they've occupied. And then the third is Great Rivers Greenway. And they are, in the second floor of one of the new buildings, uh, one of the buildings that sits right next to Alamo Draft House. And of course, they're, uh, they're the champions for our wonderful greenway system that we have in, in, uh, the St. Louis region. And, uh, of course, we're going to have the Brickline Trail coming into City Foundry in the future. And they'll, their office space actually fronts right on the future Brickline Trail. So they're occupied as well. What is the latest with that Brookline Greenway? You can see part of the elevated trail snake behind IKEA, but then it comes to a stop. So, so the planning is in process as we speak. Detailed design and detailed planning, including engineering, is happening. And so the Brickline Trail will go on top of the existing piers that you see. Uh, part of it still has the old railroad tracks there, and then part of it where it comes right into the core of the city foundry site, the railroad tracks are gone, but the piers are still there. And that will be the Brickline Trail. And so... Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to start building here in the not too, too, too distant future. Uh, we're in design. Um, and so that will happen. Um, and uh, very excited about that. That'll connect City Foundry to the west, to Cortex, and on into BJC, and ultimately into Forest Park. So, um, and then eventually uh, it'll also connect us to St. Louis University to the north. And then it'll head east into downtown. A big component of this is the Fresh Time Grocery Store. While some retailers have struggled, grocery has really gotten a boost from the pandemic. So what's the latest with Fresh Time? Yeah, so we uh, they are doing the design work themselves. And so we have their, their detailed design has been uh, given to us, the landlord. We're hoping to break ground and start construction of the Fresh Time Grocer. Uh, sometime in this quarter, uh, so imminently, I would say, and then they will open sometime early next year, and that's what they're telling us. And that's got to be a big amenity for the neighborhood, uh, getting repeat visits, uh, you know, from people who are immediately adjacent nearby. Well, obviously, we have a lot of housing being built in uh, both Midtown and the Central West End, and now uh, even down in the Grove and places like that, and this will be the closest grocer, and we've got a great parking arrangement, so you'll be able to pull in, free parking, just pull in, uh, shop. Um, and so, uh, of course, Fresh Time has a, has a uh, very healthy food, and so we expect they'll be open sometime early next year. And, um, and you've got St. Louis University a block away as well. So uh, great amenities for the neighborhood, and I think it will continue to uh, encourage future investment with future housing in the area that uh, we know are in, in the plans as well.
Another major anchor for this is Punchbowl Social, the really experiential place that's going in there. Uh, Cracker Barrel was an investor, but they pulled out. A lot of punch bowls around the country have been closed for lockdowns. So what is the latest? Is Punchbowl still a part of this? I'm very, very confident that we'll have a Punchbowl Social at City Foundry. I talk to their CEO probably once a month. Um, obviously, like a lot of retail and food and beverage, they're you know challenged with... Uh, the COVID cycle going on, but they have reopened in Denver and some of their other locations nationwide. And um, we fully expect that we'll have a punchbowl social here sometime next year after COVID passes. And that's true really of all of our, um, again, the food hall, uh, Alamo Draft House, Fassler Hall, all of them, uh, we talk to them regularly. They love uh, the idea of being at City Foundry and quite frankly, expanding to St. Louis. So we're confident in all of them. What about, uh, I know you were seeking, um, you, have, you had more retail space to fill and, and we're looking for stores for retailers for that. Obviously, we're in a challenged environment for that now, but any, uh, any news on that or what kind of uh, retailers are you, are you targeting at this point? Have you had to shift that because of the pandemic? Yeah, I don't know that we've shifted it. That was, clearly, there was a slowdown that occurred in mid-March. And probably really didn't pick up again uh, till early June, early to mid-June, when businesses started to uh, pick themselves up from uh, the shock that everyone kind of went through earlier this year. But we are having active discussions right now with a number of, I think, interesting retailers uh, that want to be at City Foundry. We really are trying to do two things. We, we definitely want to emphasize some of the local uh, entrepreneurs and, and retail outlets that we have that will be more boutique smaller boutique, and then we're talking to more national retailers that do not have a presence yet in St. Louis, and that's really our target right now, and we're having some traction with that now that um, the project is basically built. You can see it. Now we're occupied with our office tenants, and so that's really helpful, and and then uh, as business starts to imagine a post-COVID world and uh, get back to growing their businesses again, I think we're going to have some real opportunities at City Foundry. Are you, uh, can you talk about the, maybe the genres that you're looking at? Are we talking more clothing like Uniqlo or like home goods like CB2 or I guess the genres of retailers that you, you'd like? Yeah. Yeah. So in the balance of the space that we have, which is about a third of the property, two thirds of it's committed of City Foundry. We have about a third left and we have them in different categories. So we're certainly looking at, well, we'll call soft good retail. So that would be things you wear, soft good apparel, both men, women, uh, both national and, and boutique. And so that's a that's a, a genre that we fully expect will be here. We have service retail, so uh, you know we, we expect that we'll have a place blow dry bar, uh, uh, perhaps a hip uh, barber, and things like that. That's a small component, but we do want to have those services because there's a lot of um, services needed, not just at City Foundry, but in the broader area. We'll have fitness. We totally expect that we'll have fitness users here. Uh, again, we're looking for um, either local or national that are not in St. Louis yet, and we have multiple conversations going on around the fitness side. And then the last would be hard good, and uh, that could be uh, you know, furnishings, could be um, other home home accessory type of users. Uh, and the last I would add is we probably still might have another food uh, uh, restaurant uh, or food uh, retail as well. Um, we have the food hall, we have faster hall, but um, we do have some interest from some interesting, very interesting concepts around food. Bottom line with City Foundry right now, the public-facing aspects are still on the horizon, but office tenants are moving in. We have office tenants who are in, and uh, COVID has slowed us down. 
uh, like it slowed everyone down. But uh, the fundamental attraction of City Foundry has been uh, uh, is still solid, and we're having active discussions with both our existing tenants about when they will move in. Um, and uh, with new uh, prospects who really want to be part of uh, what is a really exciting development uh, in an area of St. Louis that's, quite frankly, has still a lot going on in this area. So um, so we're still very bullish uh, and very optimistic uh, about what we envision to create here uh, at City Foundry. Anything else? So, yeah, we're, 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 we've, got, we've got some active things we're working on uh, that uh, will be for another day. Uh, in terms of um, the areas around City Foundries, we're, we're uh, going to be doing some interesting new innovations at City Foundry that don't uh, necessarily relate directly to retailers. Uh, but I'm going to save that. I'm, that. That's a teaser for you, Michael. Um, hopefully right. we can talk a little more about those in the next, um, not that long, in the next, I want to say, 30 to 60 days. So imminently, okay. And uh, but it's it's exciting stuff, and it's um, it's new investment, it's new development. Developer Steve Smith of the Lawrence Group. All right, thanks for joining us. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Gerard Kraft about the restaurant industry in the midst of the pandemic. Stick around for more. Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL. King OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. We've heard all the platitudes. We've seen all the commercials. We're in this together. Unprecedented times, right? Everything around COVID and COVID-19 seems to be sparking sound bites. But the reality is a number of small businesses, especially in the restaurant and food and beverage world, they could use more actual bites, like bites of food. The restaurant industry is hurting due to COVID and, you know, they are small businesses. Think about the last time you wanted to go out to dinner, couldn't go out to dinner. Maybe you ordered something through one of the delivery services, or you wandered down like I have, uh, down to Crown Candy to grab an ice cream cone, masked up and socially distanced to support a small business. Our small businesses really need us. And what they really don't need is a lot of interference from the government. You know, Michael, I've heard stories of these businesses spending hours online with their lenders trying to get PPP loans only to be denied or lost in the shuffle, lost in the paperwork. And these are truly unprecedented times for, for most of the small businesses. And we had a chance to uh, check in with Gerard Kraft. Uh, we know him from a number of restaurants around town, uh, Cider House that's over in uh, the Four Seasons, a uh, number of restaurants in Central West End. He's been a Beard award-winning restaurateur and very outspoken about the industry and the way that the industry has suffered in the midst of COVID. So let's check in with Gerard. So I'll let you start off by uh, describing what exactly the the state of Missouri is taking a look at and how you found out about this. Well, I mean, they they just reached out to us, let us know that they're going to be auditing our uh, sales and use tax. for the past three years. And is that something that's happened to you before? How long have you been in the restaurant business? Um, you know, have you had tax issues in the past or has this ever come up before? Um, I mean, we have never had tax issues. We have been audited before once a long, long time ago. And so it's quite a painful process. Um, no, I mean, we, we've paid our taxes diligently for 15 years. Um, probably have the cleanest record in the, uh, in the restaurant game. Um, yeah. And then I just found out there, uh, they are, uh, auditing another restaurant 
group that I know of. Uh, I won't disclose their names or anything. Um, you know, we just feel like it's it's pretty poor timing to be auditing ordering restaurants that are going through the hardest times of their lives right now, especially when it takes so much uh, manpower just to just to deal with it. You know, just to get all the numbers and go back three years coming up with all these different records and jumping through all of their hoops it's like a full-time job. Do you think that it's um, poor timing or do you think that, because I saw some tweets that um, uh, somebody had said, do you think maybe this is because you've been critical of the government response? Um, do you think it's poor timing or do you think there's something else here? Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive too deep into that. Uh, you know, either way it sucks. Um, you know, uh, the government's really supposed to be kind of helping us stay on our feet right now. And it seems like the Missouri government is doing absolutely nothing to help restaurants, you know, between uh, not mandating masks uh, and then having to kind of go through these re shutdowns that are that are being proposed. And um, and then this getting audited in the middle of all this stuff just seems like uh, just seems nobody really cares about what's happening with the entertainment industry in Missouri, in the Missouri government. It was uh, reminding me of back toward the beginning of the pandemic when a lot of restaurants were hoping to sell to go cocktails and the state actually came in and shut them down for that. Um, kind of reminds yep. me of that situation. Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I feel like there's probably too many, uh, examples of this that you know to, to even count on on two hands it's i don't know i think it's uh i just really wish that we had some leadership i really wish people uh in in the missouri government would actually step up and, and try to help as opposed to kind of kicking us while we're down and how is how is trying to get along these days um how are your restaurants doing i mean i'd say the the restaurants that we have opened because two of them are still closed and um you know potentially will never reopen because they're too small uh to do any kind of social distancing of the ones that are open we're looking at somewhere around uh 50 percent of what they were doing what they were doing last year which ones are open and which ones are closed so right now we have uh, Pasteria here in St. Louis and Nashville open, and we have Brasserie by Niche and uh, Braswell over in the Rockwell Brewery, um, as well as Cinder House in the uh, Four Seasons Hotel. And which ones of those are closed right now and, and you're concerned about long term? Yeah, Sardella, uh, which was right next to Pasteria, um, will almost definitely not be reopening we, we don't see any way that it'll be able to to function in the next couple of years uh and taste taste at least has a bigger patio out front um but you know with with the way cases are surging in this state and and everything like that we're just not feeling great about the prospects there unfortunately and you mentioned about how stretched everybody is trying to get due now and and meet payroll and everything and I guess just talk about how stretched you are and then how much work 
especially since you've gone through an audit before, how much work that this adds on to your load? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you try to think about going back just personally, the past three years of your life and trying to get every, you know, sales receipt and credit card statement and uh, receipts, uh, you know, for like the, the restaurants and uh, like payroll, every single thing that you can imagine. If you could imagine just trying to do that in your personal life, imagine that times like a million and that's where we're at. And, you know, we're already at a space where, you know, we can't afford the labor we have right now, let alone. Um, so everybody's doing multiple jobs, uh, you know, so so taking somebody and just like our CFO or something and just trying to dedicate them to to dealing with this is just like unimaginable. All Thank right. you guys for, for wanting to talk about it. Yeah. And we'll reach out to the state. Um just like we did with the to-go margaritas and see if they see what their response is. And I, I also Great. saw, I think there was a response to your tweet from half and half. Yeah. Um, so that's, so I did say there was another restaurant also that I didn't want to name just yeah. for themselves, but yeah, half and half uh, tweeted back that they had also been, been audited. And you know, I just, like I said, I just can't imagine uh, the state trying to do this to restaurants right now just just seems crazy. Yeah, that's an interesting example, Travis, of uh, how the restaurants had to deal at the beginning of the pandemic with some inflexibility on the part of the state regulators when it comes to selling. You know, if you're a, a Mexican restaurant, you might make a little bit of margin, just just enough on the food, but it's the beverage that really puts you over the top. And so at the beginning, the state was saying, you can't sell those to-go margaritas. You can only sell like an unopened handle of the liquor that goes into it and the other ingredient. You, you can't just sell made drinks. And they had to fight that and get that changed. And now these restaurateurs are dealing with a state audit of their taxes. And I remember seeing, I think it was on, on Twitter, uh, Gerard Crafton said that, you know, an audit cost him about $50,000. Right. Like that's think about how tight it is for them now. And then a state audit is coming in and asking them to come up with another fifty thousand dollars to satisfy. Now, don't get me wrong. I think businesses should be audited. Right. Like that's part of the checks and balances on small businesses. But it seems a little odd to do this and put that burden on businesses at this point. Well, here's what the State Department of Revenue said, reached out to a spokeswoman for the department, uh, and she says, our field compliance bureau postponed audit services and shifted resources to aid and other functions during April, May, and June to assist the businesses that were under audit when the pandemic began. The field compliance bureau extended deadlines. Audits were postponed at the request of customers during that period. If a customer preferred that the field compliance bureau continue the audit, they continued to do that remotely. Uh, but she says that new audits began July 1st in accordance with the governor's reopening action plans. So if you happen to get that notice during April, May, and June, you had all these different resources available. You could do it remotely. You could say, let's delay it for X number of months, potentially. But if you got it after July 1st, no such luck. There should be, it seems like, again, if we, we go back to one of my opening remarks, all these platitudes, these are unprecedented times. I would like to see both at the city, 
the state and even the federal level some some latitude given, especially to small businesses. I mean, Michael, we spent like this show is about the innovators and entrepreneurs that are taking big risks uh, to try to not only improve their station in life, but try to deliver either you know life changing uh, pharmaceutical and therapeutic drugs or uh, or medical devices, or just giving us a better quality of life through our our own experience of being able to go out and dine. Like these small businesses are the lifeblood of any economy and. And right now, they, they are being strangled. Well, if you'd like to help Gerard Kraft or any of his restaurants or Half and Half, delicious breakfast food, uh, Google, you know, Gerard Kraft's restaurants or use the rewind function if you're listening on the radio.com app to go back and listen to him talk about which restaurants that he has which are open and which ones that are that are closed. It's a shame he thinks that some of them are potentially never going to reopen. But if you would like to help, Figure out which one of his restaurants fits your, fits your palate the best. <laughs> and get out there and, you know, try to explore at, in a very socially distanced and state, safe sort of way. Uh, St. Louis has a number of great restaurants. Our food and beverage scene is, is phenomenal here. And they are truly hurting in the midst of this pandemic. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us on this edition of Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL. We'll be back next week. Come back and join us. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.